0: If you are struggling with obsessive compulsive disorder, then check out NoCD. NoCD offers online therapy for people who are struggling with OCD anywhere in the United States and now in the United Kingdom. You can do live video sessions with a licensed therapist who specializes in the treatment of OCD, which is exposure and response prevention. Between sessions, you'll get 24-7 support from our peer support community and our clinician guided tools also have the ability to message your therapist from the app for additional support and encouragement. Plus, the app tracks all of your exposures, and there are tons of other ERP tools on there too, like an SOS track to put on when you're really, really struggling. You can get started by booking a free call at www.treatmyocd.com or download the free NoCD app to get started. And depending on what state you live in, you may even be able to work with me as your therapist. We even have free support groups that you can sign up for, and they're all led by a therapist who specializes in ERP. Head to www.treatmyocd.com and tell them that Jenna Overbaugh sent you. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of All the Hard Things. I promised in the last episode, number 69 on Pure O and Whether It Exists, that I would follow it up with another episode with all of my answers to all of the questions that you guys had submitted to me on Instagram. And so I have to say, when I initially posted a question box on my Instagram about what questions do you guys have about Pure O? What questions do you guys have about mental compulsions? I had no idea that when I got the results back, I would literally just have to like scroll and scroll and scroll. And so, for all of you to know, I think it's important that I got so many questions about this. And so I want you all to feel validated and, you know, in good company that there are a lot of questions about this topic and specifically the topic of pure o, quote unquote, and specifically about rumination, mental compulsions, and all that stuff. So my goal in between the past, the previous episode and this episode is to give you guys a lot more information education and just insight into what I think is going on with a lot of these things and some practical tips about what to do, what not to do, moving forward, starting right away so that you can start to just think of this in a little different way. Um, And so if any of you are therapists out there, having some more education as far as how to handle rumination, how to approach a pure O case um, and all of those things. So I'm not going to be able to get to all of the questions, but I will try my darndest to get to the most important ones or the ones that came up pretty consistently. So first question, for Pure O, what exactly does ritual prevention look like for ruminating, reviewing, et cetera? So first things first, if you haven't listened to my previous episode on Pure O, stop what you're doing. Just go ahead and stop, 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 stop. Go back and listen to that episode because I go really in depth about what Pure O is, what my thoughts on it are, why it's such a controversial kind of topic in the field, and what really I'm referring to when I say Pure O. So go back and listen to that episode and then come back to this one because I'm just going to dive right into the questions and the answers, not going to have time to just like go back and go through all that stuff. So go back, review what Pure O is, and then it'll make much more sense what I'm talking about here. So again, the question is, if you pure O, what exactly does the ritual prevention or the response prevention piece look like for ruminating, reviewing, et cetera? So I know it's going to sound simple, right? And, and that's the dangerousness of me talking about pure O in this way is that it's going to sound so much more simple than it is. And I don't want that to seem invalidating at all, but We we can't complicate these things. We can't complicate these things so much that we start to lose our sense of agency. We can't complicate mental compulsions so much that we start to lose our sense of control. Because the fact of the matter is, is that although these are mental compulsions, ruminating, which is just any kind of mental engagement with a thought, reviewing old scenarios to try to figure something out um anything like that in your head even though it's mental it works and functions the same as a an observable overt compulsion so a lot of it is going to look and sound exactly the same it, there might be some added flavor to it to try to help what feels more automatic versus you know i get up from the couch and my hands feel dirty and so i walk in the direction of my bathroom and i turn on the sink faucet like yes I get that there are observable steps in that process, and so it might feel easier for someone to quote-unquote stop that compulsion or to resist that compulsion because it's observable, it's behavioral, there are lots of physical steps. Whereas with mental compulsions like ruminating and reviewing, it kind of feels, a lot of times people will say it feels more automatic, and so I get that. And with training and with awareness and with really consistent effort, we can start to acknowledge that there are small steps that go into that as well. So whereas with hand-washing, the person might walk in the direction of their bathroom, open the bathroom door, go in front of the faucet, turn the faucet on, run their hands under the, soap, under the water, get soap, rub their hands together, like all those steps. We can also acknowledge that there are mental steps that take place here too. And so again, I will re- reference you guys to check out Dr. Michael Greenberg's Uh, podcast episodes. I link them in the show notes about rumination, and he has a ton of work on his website, which I also linked in the show notes, about his approach to rumination-focused exposure and response prevention. So I'm going to steal some ideas from there, and I've just been loving his approach lately. I didn't think that I would at first, but I'm falling in love with it. So the steps for Stopping rumination or any, you know, whatever the ritual prevention would look like for more mental compulsions is this. A thought occurs to you. You can't help that. That's a passive process. So that's the first step. A thought occurs to you. The second step is that you become aware of that thought. That's not something that you can necessarily control either, and we want you to be aware when you're having these thoughts. Yep, I'm having the urge to solve that problem right now. I'm anxious about that right now. That makes me anxious that's okay. Then it becomes this fork in the road type of situation. At least that's my understanding and my conceptualization of it. In between the second step of awareness and the third step, which is attention. How much attention are you willing and able and wanting to kind of deposit into this thought? So are, you know, are you trying to problem solve something? Are you trying to figure something out? Are you trying to go back in the past and try to review a situation to try to come to some conclusion about it? Are you obsessing about, you know, whether you could be gay or a different sexual orientation altogether? Like, what are you obsessing about? What are you trying to figure out? And how much attention are you giving that thing? Are you... You know, there's uh, an article on Dr. Michael Greenberg's website that says you're not having intrusive thoughts all day, you're ruminating. And so we have to understand that there does become a part in this process where it's not just us having a thought. Us having a thought is a passive process. It's something that happens to us. And so what really what dictates whether we can move on with the rest of our day and be fine or whether we jump down this rabbit hole or not is how much attention we are giving to that thought. How much significance we are basically depositing into that account or that concept. And so, the third step, where I think we really get off track and where we really need to rein it back in, is this attention piece. And that I would agree with Dr. Michael Greenberg is 100% controllable and learnable and teachable and all those things. We have to get people to the point where they can acknowledge that, yes, as much as I feel like that is outside of my control. I recognize that if I really were truly able and felt equipped and knew how to do that, and and I knew the steps one by one how to do that, I could make the decision not to. And a question here that I give people all the time to kind of assess their willingness is like, if I gave you a billion dollars, could you leave that go? Could you walk on without answering that question? And sometimes for people who aren't like super money motivated, which I totally am, so I would stop solving anything for a billion dollars. If I held a gun to your dog's head, could you stop searching for the answer to that question? And that one usually gets people. (laughs) So as much as I don't like saying that because I don't want to intentionally or unnecessarily trigger someone. They're like, yep, okay, I get it. Like, now I I could. It just becomes that. That's where we really start to have discussions about, like, is this a willingness issue or is this an ability issue? So I'm going to get more into that in my answering of another question, but that's what the response prevention piece looks like. And so we have to choose to not give attention to these thoughts. We have to choose to not exert our mental energy and our mental piggy bank money into this quote-unquote, account of whatever this question is that we're trying to solve. And then the fourth and final step is where we get into that analysis. And really, rumination is just this analytical thinking, this unhelpful, spinning-our-wheels analytical thinking of, about something that is not problem-solving, is not functional, is not forward-thinking and active. It's just rumination. And so, long story short, what the response prevention piece looks like is Really, really trying as much as you can to find your sense of agency in that four-step equation, letting a thought occur to you because you can't help that, becoming aware that you're having that thought, and then choosing actively to not give attention any more to that. So walking on without answering that question, walking on without depositing any more mental energy or effort into that concept, and walking on without that ruminative analytical thinking. And it will feel hard, just like it will feel hard to resist hand-washing, just like it will feel hard to resist asking for reassurance. It will feel hard. But that's part of the process. We have to practice. We have to learn. And we have to, I think a lot of it comes back down to that, are you willing or are you unable? And I bet you it's more of a willingness issue. Second question, why does OCD make us doubt whether we have OCD? And so the the question there, I mean, the answer there is just that it's it's the doubting disorder. So OCD is gonna make you doubt everything. And so, not to mention, you know, it's not just gonna have you doubt your performance in relationships, it's not just gonna have you doubt, you know, your health or your sexual orientation, it's gonna also have you doubt your therapist, it's gonna help have you doubt your assessment of those things during your first session with your therapist. It's going to make you doubt whether you have OCD. It's going to make you doubt everything. And so a lot of researchers, a lot of professionals, and and me too, like I would say that your OCD has nothing to do about your sexual orientation, your, your subtype, your contamination. It has nothing to do with your subtype. It has everything to do with doubt. And so it has everything to do with the The need for you to, in these particular scenarios, to give attention to certain thoughts and to analyze them in a ruminative fashion that ultimately leads to nowhere. And so it comes down to the decision again, even when it comes down to the doubt of, do I have OCD? Is this the right therapist for me? To be able to walk on without answering that question. And we have to, again, like let go of some of our justifications of rumination. I think that's a big part of the problem is that we feel sometimes that our rumination is good for us. It makes sense. If I don't ruminate, I feel like I'm going to miss something. If I don't ruminate, I feel like I'm doing myself a disservice. You have to let yourself feel that way and, and realistically do that like pros and cons list, right? If rumination was going to get you closer to understanding if your relationship was the one or if you were a good mom or whatever, you would have figured it out by now, right? Like if rumination was the answer and if it was worth any of your time, it would have done you some good. And so I would ask, is it doing you any good? Has it done you any good up to this point? Or are you continuing to just get stuck in your wheels and spinning your wheels, so on and so forth? Because research shows again and again that as we ruminate and as we try to review these situations and we engage in that doubt of ourselves, we actually become more depressed, more uncertain. More unsure and more, you know, and less confident about our decisions. So, OCD is going to make you doubt, has the potential to make you doubt everything. Doubts are part of the normal everyday human experience. It's just a matter of how much, again, attention are you willing to give that? How much attention are you willing to give that doubt about whether you have OCD or not? That could be a thought that occurs to you. Wow, I'm not sure whether I actually have OCD or not. You become aware of that. And then that becomes that fork in the road, like I talked about, how much attention are you willing to give to that? Are you going to jump down that rabbit hole of Googling online and reassurance seeking your symptoms and mentally reviewing what you said to your therapist? That's giving attention to it. That's rumination. You could also just allow that thought to be there and walk on without answering that question. Does distraction work or is this a temporary fix? And so long story short, distraction does not work. Um, it is a temporary fix. And so what we don't want is for someone when they're actively anxious or when they're actively trying to resist compulsions to pull in distractions. So I do not want people to think about what they're having for dinner later. I don't want people to think about a good, happy song. I don't want them to think about, you know, some TV show that they love. Like, I don't want you guys to be pulling in active distractions to make yourself feel better. It's pretty much just the equivalent of thought stopping. It's just thought replacement. You can call it neutralizing, whatever you call it. It's, it's just thought stopping. So by being anxious and intentionally, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about that. I'm going to pull in this distraction. I'm going to think about the office and how I get to watch that with my husband later because I'm so anxious about this event that I don't want to think about this. And I just want to think about the office later. Like it's thought stopping, you guys. And so you're still engaging with that negativity. You're still engaging with that obsession. You're still basically giving your OCD the go ahead to continue making your life crap because you're continuing to essentially say, yep, I can't handle this thought. I'm continuing to give attention to it in some form or fashion. And so whatever gets attention will continue to occur. And what I'll say about that is that I do think that there are good, quote unquote, distractions and bad distractions. So bad distractions are going to be exactly what I've just demonstrated. So bad distractions are going to be those, okay, I'm anxious. I can't handle this right now. I need to go and think about how beautiful it is outside because I just need to go. A good And I wouldn't even call it a distraction as much as I would call it just continuing to live your life would be I'm having a really hard time. Um, I had a sexual intrusive thought with my baby while he was in the bath. Um, I really don't feel comfortable with this. This makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to choose not to give attention to that thought. I can still feel anxious. I can still have that like urge potentially, but I'm going to continue wrapping up the bath. I'm going to continue to wrap him up in a towel. And we're going to go out and we're going to sit in front of the fireplace and we're going to, you know, he loves to, my son loves to watch Blaze and the Monster Machines. So we'll turn on Blaze and the Monster Machines for the last, for the next like 15 minutes or whatever while we snuggle after the bath. Like that's not necessarily, I don't, I don't think that's distraction. I think that's just moving on with your day. You're moving on with your life. And so I am okay with people You know, having an anxiety-provoking situation, be it an intrusive thought or an exposure or whatever, resisting that compulsion, whether it's an observable compulsion or rumination or whatever, and continuing to go about their business. That to me is not distraction. That's you going about your business while you do everything in your power to resist your rituals, which you can still do. You can still go on with your day and resist your rituals, right? So I can continue to snuggle my son in his towel after the bath while resisting rumination, while resisting giving any attention to that thought or analyzing that thought or trying to monitor that thought or anything else that would be giving attention to it. So with that said, I spent way too much time going over just those three questions because obviously I feel really passionately about this and I'm hoping that this is helpful. But well, we're going to take a quick break while I talk to you guys about a product that I love, and then we'll be back with more question and answer. I've often said that one of my favorite go-to self-care routines is to get my nails done. But if you're like me, then you just can't justify salon prices or the harshness that these bring to your nails. Olive in June allows you to get the salon quality manicures and pedicures at home. You can easily go up to seven days without chipping. You don't have to leave the house and you can finally stop spending $35 or more every two weeks on getting them done. For $10 off your first order, head to my website at www.jennahoverbaugh.com and click on deals. All right, back again with some more goodies for you. So another question that I got from Instagram avoidance feels safe, but it's not. Is this common in pure O? I think avoidance is huge, regardless of what kind of OCD you're struggling with. I think one of the goals of exposure and response prevention, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD, is to reduce and eliminate avoidance as it relates to fear and obsessions. Um, So yeah, avoidance is going to feel safe, right? It eliminates that feeling at least temporarily of potential fear or your potential consequence coming true, whether that's judgment or something catastrophic happening or a horrible thought from occurring. And yeah, it's going to make you feel okay really temporarily like any other ritual. But that avoidance just reinforces your fear or your obsession like any other ritual. So you've just given yourself relief like, oh my gosh, thank goodness I didn't do that thing. Because had I done that, something horrible would have happened. You basically are reinforcing this concept that you couldn't handle it, that if you tried, it would have failed, and that if you tried, something horrible would have happened. So again, doesn't matter, pure O or not, avoidance is huge in in any type of OCD. So that would be one of my treatment goals for people, um, and definitely something that as a therapist I would want others to work on. reducing and acknowledging avoidance and trying to approach the things that they are avoiding in a way that is consistent with ritual prevention. Question number 5, are any types of exposures more effective for pure O? So, first things first, I would focus just on resisting rumination as much as possible and trying to build awareness around this and trying to build up response prevention and ritual prevention with this. Um So this is where, again, I will reference Dr. Michael Greenberg, where he would actually work on reducing and resisting the rumination first. And he does this. He acknowledges the kind of four steps. Um, One, a thought occurs to you. Two, awareness. Three, attention. How much attention are you giving to that thought? And then four, analysis. That compulsive analysis, going back and trying to figure that out. And so really any situation that puts you in a position where that's more likely to happen is going to be a good opportunity for exposure. But again, regardless of whether it's rumination that you're struggling with or hand washing or checking or reassurance seeking or whatever it is, exposures aren't going to be effective unless you are able and willing to resist the rituals that otherwise you would do to make yourself feel better or feel protected from this thing. So ritual prevention, ritual prevention, ritual prevention, most important piece of all. Next question. How is it called OCD if there are no compulsions? There are compulsions. They're just not observable when we talk about pure O. So again, like I referenced in the previous episode on number 69, the term pure O was coined not to indicate that there are no compulsions, just to indicate that there were these subtype of individuals who really seemed to be struggling with obsessive compulsive disorder, but they weren't as observable compulsions as what was typically seen in the media at that time. So what was observable in the media at that time, and what was kind of the media portrayal of OCD at the time was a lot of hand washing, a lot of checking, a lot of perfectionism, things that you can observe and kind of see happen behaviorally. But there were these subtypes of individuals who are presenting with still really similar struggles, but none of the overt compulsions that, you know, other people had seen or witnessed. And so there are compulsions. They're just more mental behaviors. They still function the same way as other compulsions. They still reinforce OCD the same way as other compulsions. And so I think that's a nuanced, I mean, we're just getting into semantics now, but, um, there are compulsions, they're just mental. And so the that so this leads me into the next question, which is if it's a mental compulsion, why is it helpful to call it pure O? And I don't have pure O, so I'm not going to tr- I'm not going to try to explain it exactly. But I would reference you guys again to Chrissy Hodges. I believe she's at pure O Chrissy on Instagram, and I will be sure to link her in the show notes as well. Um, she's a really big OCD advocate, particularly for those who struggle with pure O, so more mental compulsions, and so. My interpretation of why Pure O is helpful is that it does create this kind of community. It does, you know, allow these individuals who struggle with more mental compulsions to feel the sense of solidarity and community where otherwise they're surrounded by kind of these other societal portrayals and other community portrayals of things that just don't fit their mold. And so by having this Pure O kind of subtype helps them feel that solidarity, helps them feel that group. Collectiveness that otherwise they didn't feel before. Next question How can you bring yourself in the moment if you can't stop thinking about a bad memory? So I would first stop and say, You can stop thinking about a bad memory. Emmett, Emmett is not happy with this podcast right now. That's my dog. <laughs> I'm not even going to edit that out. That was really cute. Um, how can you bring yourself in the moment if you can't stop thinking about a bad memory? You can stop thinking about a bad memory. You have to choose to let that go. You have to first, I think, identify why you're trying to think about a bad memory. What about that are you trying to figure out? What about that are you holding on to? What about that are you analyzing? What about that are you repeatedly going over and why? What are your justifications for that? What are your pros and cons of that? What do you think that you are getting out of that behavior and then we have to kind of just realize and come to, the, come to the understanding that continuing to analyze this bad thing, continuing to go back through this event, this bad memory, whatever it is, it's not serving you. Whatever, it, it may temporarily seem as though it's serving you, but if it did, you wouldn't have to continue to do it, right? So we can no longer be justifying our ruminations, we can't continue to, you know, say all the pros of why we continue to go back to these things, thoughts are occurring to you all the time, and that is a passive process. So thoughts occur to you, and you can't help that. You can't help thoughts not happen to you. What you can help is what you do with that thought and how much attention you give to that thought and how much, what level of analytical thinking you engage in regarding that thought. So a thought occurring to you is a passive process. You are not just thinking about a bad memory all day. You are ruminating about a bad memory all day. That is a choice and that is an active process. And I know some of you out there are probably going to be thinking, like, but no, I just can't stop thinking about it. I just can't stop thinking about it. I would encourage you to check out my show notes and check out Dr. Michael Greenberg's article on you're not having intrusive thoughts all day, you're ruminating. Um, there's a sense of agency that can come with this. And so, you know, we don't want to accept this concept that I just can't stop thinking about it. I just can't stop thinking about it. That's a really miserable outlook (laughs) for everyone, right? Like we can't just settle for that. We can't just settle for this concept of I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about it. You had a thought, right? Like you had this thought, you had this bad memory or this fear come up, this horrific image or concept or thought or urge or whatever. And how much attention you give to it dictates whether you continue to have it or not. And so you can stop thinking about a bad memory. We have to make the deliberate decision to let that go, even if in the moment we feel like that is is a disservice to us, even if we feel like we're missing something, even if it feels uncomfortable, we have to stop giving in and giving in attention to these bad memories or whatever they are. Does ERP also help stop rumination and all or nothing thinking? can definitely help it, but it only works if you work it, right? So you can learn all the skills. A therapist can talk you through all these processes. A therapist can talk you through all the justifications, quote unquote, that you give to rumination and that you give to your other compulsions. And you can eventually come to the understanding that, no, these ruminations don't serve me and I don't want to continue to live my life this way. And you're still going to have to do the work and you're still going to need to practice this consistently. Every once in a while, you're going to have those moments where you catch yourself ruminating again or catch yourself mentally engaging in a thought, and sooner rather than later, you'll have to catch that and rein yourself back in and make the decision consciously to not deposit any more mental energy into that concept and to not analyze that any further. Last question, how can I stop doing mental compulsions? They feel so automatic. And so I feel like I've mentioned this and brushed over it in other answers to other questions, but I think the first step is recognizing that they're not automatic, right? Like just that basic education that there are subtle steps here and I know it feels automatic. I know it feels so chaotic and so like your head is just spinning and you go down that rabbit hole. But my, one of my favorite sayings is the first step in getting out of a hole that you've been digging is to stop digging, right? So. In order to get us out of this hole of like how deep we are in our rumination, we have to stop ruminating. And again, I know some of you out there are going to be like, that sounds so simple. It's more complex than that. And I get it. It definitely is. I definitely do think that it is more complex, but that's kind of at the heart of what all ERP is. We do want you guys to stop your rituals. We do want you guys to stop protecting yourself. From these fears that are arbitrarily protecting you from these fears. And so the same applies to some mental compulsions as well. Of course, it's not just, oh, stop that, like come into my office and I'm going to tell you to stop it, right? Like we're going to provide you with the education about why you're doing what it is that you're doing. We're going to provide you the education about how these are intrusive thoughts or things that everybody has, that they are a widely and worldly experienced event. It's just the amount of attention and the amount of analytical thinking and the behavioral compulsions that people do to arbitrarily protect themselves from these things. And so, again, I would encourage you all to start with just the recognition and the education that these aren't automatic, that there are subtle steps here that we can all take and that we can't settle for just this concept of I can't stop it. Like, it's just so constant. I just can't stop. You can. I would encourage you to listen to the previous episode on Pure O, listen to this one again if you feel like you really need to just digest it and have it sink in, and go look at all of the resources that I have in my show notes. I think that it will just open up a lot of more opportunities for you to think about rumination in a totally, totally different way. Really big thing though, guys, is starting with the understanding that these things are not automatic recognizing some of the justifications, maybe some pros and cons that you hold about mental compulsions and namely rumination. Asking yourself, are you willing to stop ruminating or is it an ability issue? Like, am I able to stop ruminating or is it a willingness issue? Are you willing to let that problem go unsolved? And then I think it just comes down to awareness training, like really, really being diligent about your own thoughts and catching yourself sooner rather than later so that you can do that self-monitoring and recognize as soon as possible when you're kind of going off the rails as far as rumination goes, when you're giving attention in a deposit mental box that you don't want to deposit it into and trying to rein it back in as soon as you can. And reining it back in just is, I'm not gonna give my attention to that thought. I'm not solving that problem. I'm moving on with the rest of my day, whether that's continuing to drive to work continuing to hang out with my son after his bath, continuing to try to focus on my schoolwork and not answer that question. You can do both at the same time, right? So back to the whole good distraction, bad distraction thing. You can move on with the rest of your day and still not ruminate. They're they are not mutually exclusive. So moving on with the rest of your day is not necessarily a distraction. We still want you to be doing whatever you can to resist rumination. So I know that's a lot, I have so much more to say about this. And literally, I got to probably like one sixth of the questions that I had on my Instagram. So know that this is a really controversial topic. Know that this is a really packed topic and that hopefully there's just more and more resources that come down the pipeline for you guys and for us us professionals too, so that we can understand this a little bit more, so that we can help you guys a little bit more and just be able to tackle this all together a little bit more. So I know that this stuff is really, really hard. I hope that there was at least one or two little tidbits that give you a little bit more hopefulness for the future, something more practical that you can take with you and practice to try to feel a little bit better or in your own practice as a therapist, try to help your own clients do through this because it is so, so tricky. Until next time though, you guys keep doing all the hard things. It was fun.